friends, I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to our online internet church service. I'm so happy that you're here, and I believe that today God has a fresh word for you that will bless you and help you to walk in the fullness of His plan for your life. Now today, let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and we're going to receive the tithes and offerings first. We're going to bring them into the storehouse of God, but let me share with you a few verses of Scripture that will be a blessing to you concerning God's financial plan for your life. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Verse 3, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now he asked Simon to launch out into the deep and to let down their nets for a catch, because when the teaching was completed, the Lord wants to bless Simon for allowing him to use his boat for the sake of the preaching of the gospel. Verse 5, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The interesting thing with Peter is that after an all-night fishing expedition, as a professional fisherman, he had caught nothing. And you know, uh, events like that can really hit your ego. Events like that, if you are a self-willed, you know, as we would say, self-made type individual, those things can really shake and rattle your confidence. And when your confidence is not in the Lord, those can be actually life-changing experiences. And the thing is, is that Peter knew from a perspective of being a fisherman and doing this for a living. So he's obviously as good as you can get in this career field. He knew that, you know, we just had a completely unsuccessful journey. And really, he probably, all he wanted to do was just go home and share the story with his wife, get some consolation and get some encouragement, basically let that, you know, tomorrow's a new day, let's just try it again tomorrow. But th those things like that can be very, very discouraging. And the Lord wants us to be in a place where we are not like others out in the world who have no covenant with God and if things happen to move into a recession, or if the fish aren't biting, and we're in that natural realm, then we are susceptible to all of the same shortcomings that other humanity faces who doesn't know God. But my friends, it's different when you have a covenant with God, and Jesus was walking in the power of that covenant. And I want you to understand that although Jesus said, Peter, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch, and Peter, knowing that as a professional fisherman, you don't do that, uh, you know, at least not in, in a lake-type setting. You know, it's different maybe if you're out in the Mediterranean, you're in salt water, the water's a lot deeper. But here, you, don't, you know, that's not what you do, because the fish can see the net coming. But you have to understand that whether you go fishing 
at the nighttime or during the daytime, as far as God's financial covenant is concerned, those things are irrelevant. This is what I'm trying to say. This is what Jesus understood. Jesus understood that the covenant works whether you go fishing day or night. And when Jesus says, let's go right now, then you go with the master. Why? Because he's tied into that covenant and it's going to work regardless of whether the sun's up, sun's down or anything like that. The, the, all those factors, suddenly they don't become the thing that makes you or breaks you because it's the covenant that makes you same thing with the fish. Well, you know, uh, Jesus, the fish, uh, they're not biting right now. Well, that, that's something that the covenant looks at and the covenant doesn't, uh, doesn't have any concern about that. It's irrelevant to God's covenant, whether the fish are biting or not, because you and I both know the fish are going to respond to the master who's walking in that covenant. So here's the thing with God. When you tie into the financial co covenant that God has planned for you, you have to understand that it will work for you, whether it's daytime or nighttime. It will work for you, whether the fish are biting or not. Well, Pastor Stephen, no, it's no use even trying. No, 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 no. Maybe for those that are not in covenant, but for those who have a covenant with God, th those things don't stop God's power from working. And when you're tied into a covenant with God financially, it will work for you regardless of where you're at. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you don't know where I live. That's, that's irrelevant to the power of the covenant. If you start working that covenant right where you're at, you'll start to go up. And lack and insufficiency will start to be removed out of your life. The covenant does not show respect for day or night. The covenant doesn't show respect for whether the fish are biting or not. The covenant does not show respect for where you live. The covenant is not even interested in what your skin color is. The covenant is not interesting in, in what we would call so many of these external conditions of really just would be excuses of why we think it can't work. Because God's financial covenant is like a hammer, and it can break and, and, and go through any opposition that would reduce others who do not have a covenant with God. Now, I would say this today concerning the power of this covenant, which is, which is so powerful that even in the middle of the day, even when the fish can see the nets coming, they're not trying to get away from it thinking, oh, we're going to get caught. They're thinking, hey, we're supposed to go into it and get caught. <laughs> I mean, that, that covenant is so powerful that it overrides all other forces, and you really need to connect yourself to it in a world that is very shaky, very unpredictable, and where there are swings and cycles in the economic cycles of not just America, but the world. Now, let me say this concerning God's prosperity plan for your life. Sin is a destroyer of prosperity. You really need to let that go down into your spirit today. If you are living a righteous and clean life in the Lord, then you have the potential to step into a very bright financial future. Consider Job who was the wealthiest man in all of the East. But did you ever stop to consider that along with being the wealthiest man in the East, that he also lived the purest life out of any other person living in the East? 
Oh, he was a man after God's own heart. He had his mind on the Lord day and night. He had the cleanest, most upright, righteous, purest life of anybody in the East. Praise God. So if you want to tie into the financial covenant with God, you're going to have to eradicate the practice of sin out of your life. Praise God. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be sinless, but I'm saying habitually practiced sins must be dealt with. Praise God. You have access to God's financial covenant, but there are certain actions you must take in order to be connected to that covenant. Let me say it like this. When practiced habitual sin leaves your life, then lack and insufficiency will also begin to pack their bags and leave your life also. Woo, praise God. You really do need to fight sin with all of your being. You, you should strongly consider amputating the practice of sin from your life. Pastor Stephen, that's a pretty strong word. Yes, well, Jesus' teaching talked about, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, let it be plucked out, let it be cut off. And he's using a hyperbole. In other words, he's using uh, an extreme example that's not meant to be literal. And everybody that heard him understood that. But he was basically saying, you really need to deal strongly with sin in your life. You need to amputate sin. Why? That sin, if you practice it, it has the potential to undermine the power of the covenant, even the financial covenant, from working in your life. And I'll, I'll just tell you, sin is a financial killer. For a man or woman that wants to walk with God and wants to tie into that covenant, sin will undermine that covenant. So you really need to cut it off and deal with it with a very, very determined heart. You know, I just noticed that the national debt here in America just rolled past $23 trillion. And sometimes, you know, concerned Americans will say, you know, we have a $23 trillion debt problem. But the reason America has a $23 trillion debt problem is because America has a sin problem. Do you see how when biblical ethics and morals are thrown aside, do you see how money problems start showing up? Mm. And by the way, that $23 uh, trillion debt, that's actually a sin in the eyes of God. But it's a reflection of so many Americans that just tolerate sin and appease sin and allow it to just comfortably, you know, be in their lives. And they're not like, hey, I'm going to amputate this and get this out of my life. Wow. Now, last week we studied about the life of King Asa. When he made a covenant with God and all of Judah, it says they sought the Lord with all of their heart and they found him when they sought him with all of their heart. And watch this. The moment they found him, it says that the Lord began to give them peace all around. And remember, before that, it was chaos. It said nobody could come in or go out of the land of Judah without tremendous strife. There was trouble everywhere. There was money problems. There was debt. There were enemies. There's shortage. Uh, there was strife 
and strain everywhere. But the moment they gave themselves completely to serve the Lord and cut off the idols, cut off sin and say, we're not dealing and playing around with these sins anymore. These things are what has undermined the blessing of God in our lives. And the moment they did that and they contacted God, it's amazing because God began to give them peace. And God began, in other words, God began to deal with the debt problem. Mm -mm. I'm telling you that if America turns its heart to the Lord, that $23 trillion debt will begin to get dissolved so quickly that it will even be dissolved supernaturally by the power of God. That's no big deal for God to deal with. Woo, praise God. And I believe that God does want to visit America with a mighty visitation of His Spirit. And I believe that one of the things that will be dealt with is the issues of sin and the toleration of sin that so many in the church are willing to just, you know, put up with it without knowing that if you do that, uh, you're going to have you're going to have these problems come in because again, sin is a tremendous underminer of God's prosperity plan for your life. So if you want to get out of money trouble, number one, get out of sin. Woo, praise God. Live a clean life like Job, who was the wealthiest man in the East, also the most righteous and upright man in the entire East at that time. Glory to God. Yes, these things are linked together. Well, Pastor Stephen, I thought I would just give tithes and give an offering, and you know, that, that will connect me with God's plan. It, remember, it's a package deal. It, this is a package deal. You have to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Yes, the, the covenant of God that's the financial covenant is anchored with tithing, okay? And also through the giving of offerings, seed time and harvest. In other words, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, sowing and reaping, or as we also say, giving and receiving. But my friends, you need to live a clean life or else the enemy will have legal access to come in there and... Uh, like the old expression was said, your machinery of the covenant can be operating smoothly. But if there is sin, now the enemy, I'm talking about practice sin, the enemy legally can come in and can take a wrench and throw it into the gears. And now the gears get all jammed up and maybe something breaks or doesn't work right now. You've got to fix, fix the motors, fix the mechanization of the thing. So I'm, I'm saying deal very, very seriously with any tolerated sins that would perhaps be in your life. I know some Christians are very loose with the way they talk and uh, they can slip over into really what's it's just profanity very, very easily. Certain words that are profane, that are unclean, that really any ambassador of Christ should not be heard speaking. So those are the types of things, you know, if, uh, whatever it might be, uh, those are the types of things you really need to whoosh, amputate and cut them off because they will, those things will work to undermine God's prosperity plan for your life. Praise God. Glory to God today. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Again, tie into the financial plan. It will work for you. It will work, work for you regardless of the economy. See, sometimes the economy can be real good, but you may never even taste it because you're not plugged into God's plan. Or the economy could be real bad, and then you now, now, of course, you feel the heat of that because you're not in God's plan. But if you're plugged into the covenant, if you're plugged into the covenant, you're on 
all the time even if the fish are biting or not they're, they're going to come okay uh, even if it's day or night when you go fishing the, it, God takes care of all of that that's the power of the covenant but you have to do your part you have to walk with the Lord by the way when Jesus says hey launch out into the deep let down your nets that's not a suggestion that's a commandment to not obey the commandments of God is disobedience and disobedience again which is sin those are the types of things that hinder that beautiful and powerful covenant from really taking effect in your life. So do all you can to live for the Lord and to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord where you have a clear and clean conscience before God and before men, before others around you. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your financial covenant. We give you all of the praise. Thank you, Father, as we see so many of your biblical characters in the Bible that set the right example for us. We give you praise for that, and we emulate their example. So, Father, we thank you for the power of the financial covenant working in our lives, in the life of your people. Father, we engage it. We obey it with full, joyful hearts. We thank you, Father God. We thank you for the fish jumping into the net. The fish just swimming as fast as they can into the nets. We thank you for a mighty harvest. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Now, as you bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse of God, if you would like to mail them in, you can send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. Our zip code is 28654. If you would like to go online and bring them in, you can do so at the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage called Tithes and Offerings, Sow and Reaping. You can go there right now and bring them into the storehouse of God. Also at our ministry website, there is a header that's called projects. And if you would click on that, you'll see two projects that we're focused on. And uh, they are the ministry aircraft hangar. And that project is moving forward beautifully. Okay. And we also have the fence project, which is to complete the beautiful fence all around the entire 1.72 acres of the ministry property here. And it is moving forward. We are a little past one third of the way on the fence project. So if you would like to sow some seed into those projects, I believe the Lord's in those projects vitally and the Lord will bless you. Thank you for sowing special seed into that. Glory to God. So, Father, bless your people. Bless your people. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. We delight in you and in your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. All right, today I would like to talk about the ministry of the teaching priest with a prophetic edge. And to look into this fascinating subject today. We're going to take our Bibles and we're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 15 verse 1 and let's talk about the necessity of having a teaching priest in your life as well as the role of the Lord to mold you into a teaching priest where you can help others in the circles in which God places you in. Watch, you're going to have the answers that others are desperately looking for. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we jump into your word, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures, that we can take them today, apply them to our lives, and enjoy the remarkable power that's released 
through the application of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. We're going to be again in Second Chronicles chapter 15. Let's drop down the verse 1. And let me also just take a moment to say, may grace and strength be released to everybody that's continuing on on the 21-day liquid juice fast. Praise God. We have passed the halfway mark. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, you know, the journey continues. And really, it's downhill from here. But let me speak just a moment to those that are still fasting. While you have now gone past the halfway point, and you're hitting for home, don't just write it out and, you know, start making your plans for all the restaurants you're going to visit when the fast is over. That will, that will come. You'll have all of that fun ahead of you. But really, take the time to pray. And you're, because you're in the, you're in the gold zone right now. When you are running an event like the mile, if you ever see a high school track or college track, you know, you have the, the, uh, the big track that goes around. Well, if you go around it four times, it's one mile or 1600 meters. Technically we call it the metric mile. So if you are in a race and you're running the mile, traditionally it's the third lap. That's always the most difficult one. The first one goes really quick. Uh, the second one, you're still feeling pretty good. The final lap, it's, it's going to go real fast because that's when you're going to make your kick and you're all, you're all ready for that. But it's the third lap that it, in some ways uh, runners would go to sleep on. It's easy to like, you know, kind of let off the pace if you're really trying to get a good time or it's, it's a time where the, the lead pack could pull away. So, you know, you really have to push it on the third lap. Now, we're kind of in that place. We've gone past halfway. This is like the third lap. And this is a time where a lot of people are just like, oh, it's uncomfortable. Uh, I'm still in it. But so I want to encourage you. This is where you could do a lot of work. This is really where you, you make the record at right here. If you're in, a, uh, you know, like a track and field event, this is where you go for it to really do something exceptional. So right now, really push it with prayer. I, I know you're already into that place where hunger has left you. You're in your zone. You're in your mode. You feel good. Uh, your tummy's all settled, and you're just drinking your juice, cruising on. But pray. Really push into the Lord right now, uh, because revelation's flowing. And you really want to, remember, not just complete the fast. You want to pray, and God is going to speak. Not just when you get off the fast, but He'll start speaking to you right now. Light, revelation, illumination breaking forth. So push right now. Push with prayer, and you will be greatly rewarded it by the Lord for that. Praise God. All right, Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now look at verse 3. For a long time, uh, and by the way, that's just too long. Any time away from God, any time out of the Lord's will, it's just too long. Look, whether it's three weeks, you know, or, or three years or three months, it's too long. The moment you realize, hey, I'm not, I'm not where I should be, get back to God, get, get everything right with the Lord as quick as you can. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest. Woo! See, you need a teaching priest. And because in Christ, we are now kings and priests in Christ, 
because of that, you want the Lord to mold you by the knowledge of the Word, by the working of the Spirit, into a place as a mature believer where you can now begin to explain things to others. You can explain scriptures to others, and the things that you learn, you can take that and be a blessing in the lives of others, because trust me, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of questions, and there are some people that are scratching their heads thinking, I just wish somebody could explain this to me, and they may not be able to, you know, hear me, but they can hear you, and we can get these truths out to you, and you can, you can be the person that can be the teaching priest in the life of someone else. But the way that you get into that place, is by receiving the ministry, the blessing of a teaching priest in your life. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. Okay, so if you have no law, what do you have? You have lawlessness. I, uh, I talked to a, a young man on the, the college one time, uh, a campus not too far from here, and uh, we were standing at the stoplight together, so a little conversation struck up. And uh, he was very uh, political. You know, he was like a, a maybe we call a social advocate or a social justice warrior. And he wanted to, you know, kind of like launch right into that type of a conversation. And uh, he said something, you know, that was very interesting. He just kind of popped out of his mouth. He said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. In other words, the government or the president, regardless of what they say, nobody's going to dictate to him how he should live or, you know, the way he should live his life. So he said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I, you know, and so we're waiting for the stoplight to turn so we can cross the street. And so, you know, I just kind of tried to help him basically by, by saying, hey, what would happen if we didn't have these stoplights? See, when Jesus was in the temple at the age of 12, and it said that he was asking questions and, and also teaching, you know, the elder, the elder, you know, uh, rabbis and so forth. Uh, understand that in Jewish culture, that you actually teach by asking questions. So he's, the very fact that he's asking questions means that he's, he's not saying, hey, I don't know what this means. Can uh, any of you guys here teach me this and explain it to me? No, in Hebrew, that actually means he's explaining it to them. And you, you answer them or you explain it to them by asking them questions. And so I just thought, well, I would maybe try to explain or unveil that his way of thinking is flawed by asking him a question. Hey, what is this right here? Well, those are stoplights. Well, what would happen if we didn't have those? Oh, well, well, you know, oh, we would have a crash, right? So, you know, you don't, you don't know when to go. In other words, if there's no law and there's no stoplight and there's no stop signs and there's no yield to the car at the right and the one on the right go first, if you don't have any of that and you have total lawlessness, what do you have? You have a pedestrians getting run over the street. You have people getting killed. You have, you have, you have total lunacy and craziness. So the fact that you have law is not to ruin your fun. The fact that you have law is because you need it. You need property laws. You need civil laws. And, you know, you go through the book of Leviticus, and you go through the book of Deuteronomy, and you see the rules and regulations. Why are those there? So that we can all live peaceably, so that we can get along together. And that's why you have those things, not to spoil your fun, but so that we can all live a peaceable life together. Woo, praise the Lord. So, if you don't have the law of God, you may think, well, hey, I'm footloose and fancy free. 
you're you're going to get in trouble. Even if you don't know it, uh, you're going to get into trouble. And it's in some ways knowing it and then not obeying it could even be worse uh, because you know. But either way, it's not good. You want to know God's principles. You want to know His commandments. And there's many of these things that unless you're taught. It's not like you're going to discover them like in a scientific laboratory where maybe you're mixing, you know, two different chemicals and they, uh, they, uh, you know, somehow get mixed together. Oh, we made amazing discovery. Well, it's a little bit different in God's laboratory. You know, uh, these things that have been discovered over the years, these revelations, these blessings, these truths, even within the last 50 years, you know, as the church 500 years ago came out of the dark ages and we began to walk fuller in the light and the knowledge of God's Word. And even over the last 50 years, a lot more truth has been restored back to the church. And even in the last 10 years, and of course this decade is releasing new revelations to the body of Christ already. My friends, you need to have teaching so that you don't have to try to reinvent the wheel all over again for your life. Well, I don't need anybody to teach me. I'll just figure it all out on my own. You won't have time. You'll run out of time. There's too much depth. There's too much that you need to know. So, you can have people like myself and others, and we can just share these things, these revelations, some things that took 20 years to learn, others that took a lifetime to learn, and you can hear it, and you can know it in five minutes, and understand it in five minutes, and not have to sit there and try to fumble with it, and unlock it, you know, all over again for yourself. Woo! Praise the Lord. So this is the purpose of a teaching priest, so that the law of God, the, the, the ways of God, the kingdom of God can be expressed. Because, stop and think for a moment about Paul dealing with the church in Corinth. They came out of gross paganism. They were Gentiles. Uh, most of them did not have Jewish background. In other words, they were ignorant of the law. So they, uh, they had all kinds of practices that were just total hedonism and paganism to the, you know, to the very max acted out. So they all get saved, washed with the blood of Jesus. And so what happens? Teaching, teaching. And the, the teaching of the Word of God has an element of cleansing. And when you are moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you are in a different kingdom. And now you're under a different king. And every king has their own way of ruling their, their, their kingdom. And so you want to learn about the new king that you serve and the way that he does things because oftentimes it can be dramatically different from the way it was done in the world of darkness. Well, that's the way we did it over there, Pastor Stephen. Well, that doesn't mean that there's not a better way, and it doesn't mean that there's not an illuminated way that would be the way of God. And oftentimes there is, and it can be quite different. Praise God. So we need a teaching priest, and we need to know the law of God, the structure of God, the commandments of God, so that we can live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's continue on. Let's go now to Second Chronicles chapter 27, okay? And drop down with me to verse 1. We're going to look here at the life of Jehoshaphat. Now, when we're jumping into the story, he is now at the age of 35. His father, King Asa, that whom we talked about last week, King Asa passed away, and of course the throne passes to Jehoshaphat. He's raised up. He's a, he's a godly man, a, a good man of God. He's at the age of 35 when we jump into the story of his life. Ruling up north, you have the northern kingdom of Israel. Now Jehoshaphat is over the southern portion, which is Judah, okay? And up north, Ahab. Yes, wicked King Ahab is now in the fourth year of his reign. 
and there's just a lot of mess going on up there. They're they're worshiping golden calves and Dan and in Bethel, and there's just a lot of sin, a lot of idolatry, and it's actually increasing. But down in the south, down there in Judah, there is a move of God that is underway. And we see that Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah. Now, anytime you see the word fortified, that technically can be translated from the Hebrew as the word fenced. Woo, I love it. And he placed troops in all the fenced cities of Judah. By the way, the entire nation of Israel today has a fence going around the entire nation. Well, Pastor Stephen, that's not very nice. Well, when you have people that would like to kill you, that are your neighbors, uh, sometimes you just have to do things like that. But I have always seen that good fences actually make for good neighbors, praise God. And so God's really in the fences, even to the point where Satan accusing Job, Satan went before God and said, God, you know what? I can't touch. I can't touch that guy because you have put a fence around him. Woo. Hallelujah. May God establish a fence of divine protection around your life that although the enemy may uh, desire to come in and do his thing, he can't, he has no access because of the fence, because of the fortification that is around your life through the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and your obedience to his principles. Woo, praise God. And as you receive the instruction of the teaching priest, the fence, the fortification goes up in your life. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities, the fenced cities of Judah, and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. Now in northern Israel, in the different areas, Baal was worshipped in different ways, but it was all an expression of Baal worship, because they really looked to Baal as the God who was over the weather patterns. And, you know, we're seeing what I would call a revived spirit of Baal today, where you have a lot of, um, I would call them extreme leftist uh people that are so concerned about weather and melting icebergs and turtle eggs being crushed that they could abort a baby just like that without the blink of an eye with no stain on their conscience they would kill a human baby but yet they would risk their life to try to get a struggling seal who maybe got tangled in a net off of the beach back out into the water. And sure, it's nice to help the seal. We, I mean, we all love animals, right? But I'm just saying they, they don't see it. They don't see their need for a Savior. And so they're in really areas of great extremism. And all this stuff about the weather and all of that, well, that's what was going on back in the ancient days of Israel. The worship of Baal, who they thought controlled the weather and caused rain or didn't cause rain or stuff like that. So really, a lot of this echo warfare, a lot of that is actually, it's a religion. It's nothing more than a religion. You see some of the young people today that have bought into that lie, and they're really, they are willing to risk their lives, shed their blood, so that weather, the weather can be fixed. And in many ways, it's nothing but a form of Baal worship who was 
the God over the weather in the minds of the pagans and the heathens and the Israelites in the northern ten tribes who bought into that deceptive lie. Okay, verse 4. It says here that Jehoshaphat sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, in other words, because of his godly living and his commitment to live for the Lord, therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. Now, watch this. Just like Jehoshaphat, God wants riches and honor in abundance to be poured into your life as you live for Him, as you serve Him with all of your heart. Praise God. No difference. God is the same God. He wants you blessed. He wants you greatly blessed. Hallelujah. Verse 6, And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. And that's really the core issue of the matter. You want your heart to be completely given over to the Lord. And when the Lord sees that, and He, he can see it, He's got that x-ray vision. He can look right into the depth of your heart. He can look into the core of who you are, and He can tell if you're sold out or if you're on the fence trying to play both sides. God's able to make that discernment. We as humans can't, but God can. And it says, And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Now verse 7, it's very important. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent leaders, Ben-Hail, Ben-Hail meaning son of valor, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah to teach, to teach in the cities of Judah. Okay, so we have these leaders, five leaders that are listed here, and it says they are sent to teach. Now, if you were to look at this in the Hebrew, when it says that they are sent to teach, in essence, they really aren't the ones who are going to do the teaching they are to oversee that the teaching is done by the others that are about to be mentioned. Well then, Pastor Stephen, what is, what is their significance? What is their role here as the leaders? Okay, these leaders, in some translations, they are translated with the word princes. In other words, they are royal delegates. They are officials of the king's royal court. They are deputized and sanctioned by King Jehoshaphat, these men have authority to go into all of the towns, villages, and cities of Judah, and they have the king's authority to call a meeting together. They can call the whole city together. They can call an entire town together. Why? They have divine delegation. So it's very, very important. So while in most ways, and I'm sure they could teach, but they're not the primary teachers. Their role is to make sure that the priest and the Levites are doing their roles of teaching, because those guys are much more skilled in the law of God. But their role is to see that the teaching is being carried out, that the meetings are taking place, that people are attending the meetings, because this is very, very important to King Jehoshaphat. And so these men, these five men, are assigned to those positions. Praise God. Now, verse 8, and with them he sent Levites. Now, these men, of course, these are godly men. And I want to call out their names on purpose because all of these men, all 16 of them, 
Okay, we have two priests, we have nine Levites, and we have five leaders. All of these men are in heaven today, and I want to mention their name. Just stop and think about it. One day we're going to meet them, shake their hands, meet them face to face. Praise God. So let's make mention of them for the good job that they did. Verse 8, and with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asael, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama, and Jehoram, the priest. Now watch this, watch this in verse 9. So they taught in Judah. Wow, they taught. Taught, taught, taught. Teaching, teaching. I'm telling you what, it's so important. See, during the tithes and offerings, we saw Luke chapter 5, Jesus borrowed Peter's boat. Hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Yeah, sure, go ahead. And uh, he sits down, and what does he do? He teaches. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Really, if you look at what Jesus was doing, he was teaching in the shallow waters. And that is where many of God's people are at, and that's okay. Let's give them Let's give them the uh, foundational truths of the gospel. Let's get them settled in the Word of God. Let's get them rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And as you grow in the things of God and you learn that, then you can be one of those people where the Lord says, hey, you want to go out deeper? Let's go out into the deep. I'll give you greater revelations than just the, you know, the ABCs and the simple doctrines of faith. Let's go deeper if you're ready for that. But still, it all revolves around rock solid teaching. It will always be needed. It will always be required. And in revival, in the midst of a move of God with glory, signs, wonders, miracles, there must always be good rock solid teaching that's taking place because you're going to have new converts. You're going to have, you're going to have sinners come into the kingdom of God, say, don't know anything about the Bible. They won't even, they don't even know where the book of Genesis is at. They don't know where the book of Revelation is at. Oh, Pastor Stephen, everybody knows that. No, there's a lot of people even in the church. They're very young in the Lord. They couldn't find the book of Genesis if you told them to turn to it. They don't know it's the first book in the Bible. They, they don't know anything about that. So there's teaching, teaching, teaching. Mm. And that is the role of a teaching priest. Get the word into them. The Levites teaching. Okay, this is how things are done. This is the way we do worship at the tabernacle. This is why we do it this way. This is why we have blood sacrifices. This is why we sacrifice animals, rams and bulls. This is why we do this. This is what Moses meant. And really also with the priest, it's not just saying this is the procedure, but there was also teaching of this is the implication of what is meant through this act. So, of course, then there's also just the basics. Basics, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, what we would call civil laws. Teach the people that. It just makes life simpler. Woo, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we need that. We need that. We need a teaching priest in our life. Oh, Pastor Steve, I don't really need that. I'll just figure it out as I go. You'll have a lot of unnecessary heartache. You'll encounter a lot of unnecessary problems that others already worked their way through and understand, hey, this is the easier route. Come, fi- come take this route. This is the kingdom route. And if you listen to the teaching priest, you'll go down the path of ease. You'll go down the path of the anointing. You'll go down the path of blessing, not the path of hard knocks. 
Woo, praise the Lord. God wants to make your life comfortable. God wants to make your life blessed. The Lord Jesus wants to spare you misery, pain, and suffering. That is the purpose of a teaching priest. Verse 9, so they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Oh, this appears to be a circuit. Yes. Let's go throughout all the cities of Judah. Doing what? Having pizza parties? Well, maybe after the teaching is over. But you know what? Teach them, teach them, teach them. And this was very important to the king. Get the law into them. Let them know that idolatry is dangerous. Let them know that if we worship these false gods, our prosperity will fall apart. We'll be invaded by enemy nations. We'll have all kinds of problems. Get the word of God into the people so that we can continue on with the revival. Woo! Praise God. Mm -mm. See, so that your cities may be spread abroad. How? Through prosperity. But you have to follow God's way. You have to follow God's word. And if there's something in your life as a Christian that you know is a direct violation of Scripture, I don't care what modern day cultures, if it says it's okay. If God said this is wrong, look, it's just like apples and oranges. God said, hey, you can eat anything you want in that garden except for this tree over here. So, you know, God, God never said there's anything wrong with apples and oranges or whatever. But God said, this tree over here, don't eat it. Well, why? It just looks like a piece of fruit. That, that's not the purpose. That's not the point. It's just wrong. The fact that God said, this is unlawful. This is not holy. Don't touch it. It instantly makes that something that is unholy. And if you violate that commandment, whether you understand it or not, whether you understand the dynamics of how the, these, all of these spiritual laws work, it doesn't matter. If you break it, it's going to hurt you. It is going to hurt you. And God is trying to spare you hurt. Mm, praise God. God wants you blessed. God wants you happy in your spirit and victorious in your life. Well, how do you learn this? Teaching. Teaching. A teaching priest. Woo! Praise the Lord. Let me say this. Take this to heart, please. Think about this. While there are certain ministers that feed you in a way that makes you full, and I take it that's why you're enjoying the teaching here, because what's being spoken feeds you, and it blesses your, your spirit, blesses your soul. Okay. It's just like go to some restaurants. Some restaurants maybe you really like. Others you're like, ah, that wasn't that good, but at least I got, I got something. Okay. Let me say this. If you have an open heart, and you really love the Lord, and maybe you are in a, a place where, let's say you're attending a friend's Christmas recital, and it's not even your church, but you decide to go because maybe you're Maybe your child goes to that school, and so you have to go there. And maybe they don't even teach along the stream of revelation that you know or understand. But if you will go there with an open heart, I can guarantee you if there's a minister preaching or teaching, there will be at least one thing that that minister will say that will bless you. Any priest of God, any teaching minister of God, you know, even if you think, oh, I've heard that before or whatever, no, maybe you have. Maybe you have. But when I say no, I, I'm just saying that if you will go with an open heart, God will cause that person to say at least one thing that you will walk away and you think, 
I got something out of that. Praise God. Now, maybe a lot of it, I didn't get a lot out of it, but that one thing, God honored, God honored that minister through giving the dispensing of the word and something he said really blessed me. I got a takeaway out of that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You'll find that's true no matter where you go within the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you may not want to live on an entire message where you listen for 40 minutes and all you got was one little thing. You maybe, maybe you preferably you want something like, hey, I got the whole meal <laughs> and dessert, okay? So that's what we're after. But if you listen to the priest, the Lord will speak to the priest as the Word of God is expounded, and you'll walk away with a better understanding. Praise God. Now, I do believe also that there is the ministry of the priest who walks in the prophetic edge. And it's not just like, hey, let me just teach you something. It's actually teaching in a prophetic way where you teach it, and then the people are like, you know what? That is just what I needed. That is exactly what I was hungry for, and I'm blessed by that. And that's what I mean by the teaching priest who has a prophetic edge. You know, when I was uh, young, go back in time, maybe about 30 years ago, I walked into my uh, pastor's study one day, and I said, you know, um, I don't understand the significance of the myrtle tree and what is being referred to the, with the myrtle tree, you know, in the book of Zechariah and so forth. I said, it's a little bit puzzling to me. I know there's some things to it, but I'm not really getting this unlocked. And without grabbing a reference, uh, without grabbing a concordance, and remember, this is for, you know, the internet or anything like that. My pastor grabbed his Bible, opened it right up, and pulled up the verse about the myrtle tree, and just unraveled that like a like somebody who had lived in Israel all of his life and was some kind of like, you know, Jewish, you know, sage. I mean, I was just like, how did you know all of that? I mean, do you like know all of the Bible like that? Did you, is, is, you know, all of it like that? Every book, every chapter. But see, that's, that's prophetic study so that you're able to give answers and insight into what actually people are hungry for, and sometimes you're feeding them meals that maybe they, they think, oh, I don't need that. Then you feed it to them, and they're like, that, that was really good. I actually did need that. That gives me a balanced diet. Praise God. So I believe there is also teaching, teaching with a prophetic edge that is the now word for the hour with fresh revelation upon it. Praise God. And that is the role of what only the Holy Spirit can do. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I've been around friends before that endeavor the flow in this same flow. I would, I would call this a good example of what it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And if you get around people that are really into the Lord and really into His Word, sometimes you'll find yourself bouncing off of them conversations that are totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, you know what, I've, I've had people say, uh, you know, Pastor Stephen, I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, you know, I've been really seeking the Lord lately, and it seems like the Holy Spirit's highlighting this number to me, like, like 1111. And I'll turn around and see the clock, and the clock says 1111. And, uh, and, and then I'll get up in the middle of the night, and I'll wake up, and I see the clock, and it says 111. And they're just like, this is happening over and over, and I'm not trying to create this, but I'm just like, it's just coming up. What's going on? Oh, 
Well, well, let me tell you exactly what that means. And I, I, because I've taught an entire message on that. I've studied it. And I've had it happen to me before. Before a major miracle or breakthrough would happen, I would usually start getting the 1111. And then other times the Holy Spirit would speak through different sequences of numbers. Not stuff that I'm trying to fabricate because, you know, I'm not into like what you would call numerology. But I do believe that there are clear types, shadows in the Word of God. And I also know that there's also New Testament substance where God does designate it certain prophetic symbolic meaning to certain numbers and you, you know you put that together and you could just read that just as clearly as reading the map or reading the sentence out and what God's trying to say through that and so that what is that prophetic teaching it's not just teaching it's prophetic teaching of what it means and it really br- brings a lot of comfort into the lives of people same thing with fragrance pastor Stephen uh, you know, I, I, I smelt this fragrance. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, that's the first one I smelt like years back when I was in this kind of encounter and that broke forth. That's what that means. Oh, wow. Praise God. What is that? That's prophetic teaching, prophetic teaching. And, you know, there's scriptures to back up uh, these types of things, uh, often multiple, multiple scriptures. But this is something that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's not just dead, dry teaching. Is teaching that has the anointing upon it. Praise God. Let me show uh, show this to you from the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight, and the great importance that this is. Hallelujah. Teaching priest, say, Lord, I need a teaching priest. Now, as the Lord feeds you through the voice of the teaching priest. Don't forget that God also wants to develop you into a teaching priest so that as you mature in the Lord, you can help those young believers who are not yet familiar with basic truths of the Word of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, praise God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Okay, so there is a leading of the Holy Spirit. How does he lead? Well, he leads to the word, of course, but there's various ways he can lead. Now, verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit can lead even what you're to teach on, what you're to start talking about. I've been around certain prophets and they'll just start talking without me saying anything. Start talking about what I'm thinking about. And, um, it's just, it's just hilarious how God will do that. And I've had it happen with me where I, I get around people and I'll just start talking along certain lines and they're like, hey, Pastor Stephen, you know, like, I mean, have you been like listening to my conversations for the last few days? You just start talking. What is it? That's the Holy Spirit. It is the, it's the teaching anointing with the prophetic edge of the priestly ministry. Now watch verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness. So there is a leading of the Spirit through the bearing witness. How does he do it? He does it by bearing witness with your spirit, and he will not bear witness with your toe. Pastor Stephen, I'm feeling a vibration down in my toe. What does that mean? Well, maybe it means the cat sitting on your foot. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying when he bears witness with you, he'll bear witness with your spirit. What is your spirit? That's your inner man. That's the real you. If you're a woman, that's your inner woman. Okay, that's who you are on the inside. The hidden man of the heart, as the Apostle Peter said. Praise the Lord. So you are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and your emotions, and you live in a body. The body is your house. But there is that inward leading, that inward leading of the Holy Spirit. And this will work 
in many areas of your life. You can be in the director's meeting, or you can be in the corporate boardroom meeting, or you can be in a place with your boss, and that inner witness of the Holy Spirit will give you witness of when to talk, when not to talk, of when to say, hey, you know, this is a good time to present this, or when to know, no, this is not the best time to do it. Let's do it later, maybe in a, two days or something like that. It's just a prophetic leading, and there can be a prophetic leading to teach along certain lines. Praise God. And I believe that God wants you to be a person who can unravel kingdom mysteries and help people. Just like Philip joining himself to the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch who just, you know, I'm sure in a sense exasperated, just said, you know, I have, I have no clue what the prophet is talking about here. And he didn't doubt that that was the Word of God. He didn't doubt that this is the infallible Scripture, the Word of God. It's just that he had no understanding of it. And here is a person who knows exactly what it means, who is anointed, who says, yeah, I, I, can, I can explain that to you clearly. Woo, praise the Lord. I love telling this story because sometimes God, He just makes it so easy. I was at a hotel. I, I, worked, I worked at the front desk of a hotel right down the street from Disneyland in Southern California. And there was a Holy Bible. It was actually my Bible sitting over on the side up on the counter. And it was sitting over on the side. And uh, a man walked in to check in. He had just arrived from Germany. They just landed, you know, LAX and uh, uh, drove here to the hotel. And he and his wife were checking in. And he uh, looked over and he said, he said, you know, uh, because he could speak English. He said, is that a a Bible? I said, yes, it is. He said, what does that statement mean? John three sixteen. He said, I, I used to watch the World Series, and I would see somebody with a uh, big curly hairdo, like a, like a clown wig or something like that, like a rainbow-colored clown wig, and he would sit behind the pitcher whenever the cameras would zoom in on the pitcher as he caught the, you know, the ball, you'd see that guy sitting behind him, that guy would hold up a sign that said, John 3.16. He said, I've always wondered what John 3.16, he said, is that in that book? I said, oh, yes, it is. I said, well, let me just show it to you. And I just opened it up and explained it to him and had him this close to receiving Christ as his Lord and Savior. And his wife said, well, we need to check into the room and you'll have a lot to do. We need to go get ready for Disneyland. <laughs> and she pulled him out of it. But I had already unraveled it to him. So he got the revelation. And whether she also wanted to receive it or not, she also got the revelation. And she knew what it meant. So, you know, you need to be that person where you can just say, this is exactly what this means. And I present it to you. And then you can decide what to do with it. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. So I believe that the, the priestly anointing to teach the Word is very, very important in the body of Christ. It was very important in the kingdom of Judah to the point that the king assigned 16 dedicated men to go and do nothing but travel and teach and explain the Torah. And by the way, the first five books of the Bible at that time while theologians do agree that they still had copies, they were very, very rare, and they were priceless. So to have one and to take that, oh, that was a very sacred assignment. And they took it to heart. But the king knew 
This is the secret of our success. If we will hear it, understand it, and obey it as a people, we will be blessed. And it reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let me just read this one verse to you. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. This is the necessity of a teaching priest in your life. Verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments. Okay, if you do that, all these blessings are going to start coming on you. But notice He said, to observe carefully all His commandments. To observe carefully. In other words, a teaching priest will help you to dig into it and realize, hey, this is something that we need to make careful observation of. We need to study it. We need to cross the T's, dot the I's. If we make careful observation and we give it strict attention and make application of it in our life, we're going to receive the fullness of the next 13 14 verses. Woo! But you have to dig into it. You have to understand it. You can't just like, well, you know, if it's God's will, it'll happen. No, it's, it's much deeper than that. You really have to give yourself to it. Learn it, know it, and then apply it. And trust me, when you're walking with the Lord, you are learning something new all the time. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people today that they value the ministry of the teaching priest and that that anointing began to develop in their life of a teaching priest because we're, Father, we're all priests in you because we're in Christ your Son now. And Father, let that anointing develop even with the prophetic edge. We're out of our own mouths. We just begin talking about the very thing that addresses the situation or the need in that person's life. Father, we thank you for prophetic, prophetic edge to the teaching priesthood. We give you praise. We give you praise. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We all agree and say, Amen. Now, when you have that hunger, God's going to supply the messages, the words that you need to hear to take you forward in His path uh, that He's got custom tailored for your life, okay? And He's also going to prepare you to speak into the lives of others in ways that bring Him great glory. Get ready for it. Apply yourselves to the teaching priesthood with a prophetic edge. Praise God. All right, let's take Holy Communion today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Every, every stream within the body of Christ has their strength. The Baptists are very good at salvation. You couldn't find anybody that could teach the message of salvation better than Billy Graham. He could present it in the most simplest terms so that anybody, even a child or an old person or a young person, anybody could understand it and after hearing that message could know what they needed to do in order to get their life right with God. The Baptists are very, very strong on that. The Pentecostals, the Charismatics, understanding the power of God, understanding how to operate in the anointing, the gifts of the Spirit. The Methodists, understanding that there's a method that if you apply certain methods, which are biblical principles, it will work in your life. It will produce good results. Those are things John Wesley learned, and his disciples realized, hey, he caught on to something from God. He's learned something. 
The Nazarenes, they tied into something of Jesus of Nazareth that was a great blessing in the understanding of the Scriptures. The, the, the Church of Christ have a very good knowledge of water baptism. I've met Christians in, in charismatic churches that have been in the church for 20, 30 years. They've never been water baptized. Nobody ever taught them the necessity and the blessing associated through water baptism. Praise the Lord. So every stream, every branch within the body of Christ carries a special revelation, just like the, the coat of Joseph, all the many colors. The, it, it, makes, it makes the body beautiful. It makes the body whole. Let me say this, the Catholics have a great understanding of communion. And in some ways, they're, they're, they're a long ways ahead of many evangelicals. Oh, the evangelicals have a great strength as well. Yes, no question. I, I would even count myself an evangelical, knowing that 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 that's the message of evangelism that we need to bring the lost to Christ hallelujah but the catholics have a great strength in communion and you know i was just communicating with a a friend of mine who's a priest lives in a different country a catholic priest and you know he he carries out mass every single day that's communion every single day he is preaching and teaching in a mass every single day regardless where he's at and you know as a denomination if you do that for several hundred years and if you do that for over a thousand years and your your emphasis is on the receiving of the body of Christ you're going to get a lot of revelation in that you're going to get a lot of understanding of that and so that's something that they specialize in and that's something that they've got a lot of revelation in and that's something over the years also that the Lord unveiled to me that when you receive this that this this is not a what we would call just like a token symbol of the body or the blood no this is the body and this is the blood I know some evangelicals don't agree with that. That's okay. We don't have to be in, uh, you know, perfect doctrinal agreement on all things. But it's something that I believe the Lord, if you begin to dig into that deeply, you'll really begin to see, oh, this is a mystery. The communion is a mystery, and there's an element of divine mystery associated with it. And this is, this is the body and the blood. Now, it doesn't turn into physically flesh and blood. But it is under the covering of bread and juice. It is the body and blood of Christ when you receive it as such. Praise God by faith. And it carries great, great blessing. Woo, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And yes, there have been men and women who have lived off nothing but communion for not days but for years, and for some, even for decades. No sneaking a pizza, no, no, you know, no living off, you know, buttermilk, no. They have, there have been those who have lived, who, who so caught that revelation and dove into it, that there were some very holy men, men and women of God that lived off of nothing but communion. This is it, all day long, no water, nothing. Just This was it, daily, some for over 30 years. Praise God. So for somebody to say it's not, it's not a supernatural meal, it's somebody that doesn't understand the unveiling, the revelation of what this actually is. Praise God. So we're all learning. We're all growing in grace. And I want to invite you today, if you are a believer, let's take communion together. Praise God. And if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would like right now to give you opportunity to get your life right with God. 
And if you would like to turn to the Lord and receive forgiveness of sins, there's no better time than right now. And all you have to do is repeat this prayer after me from your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I come before you and I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I turn from my sins. Wash all of my sins away. I give my life to you right now. Jesus, write my name in your book of life. I believe that you died and rose again on the third day, and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus, I now accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me right now. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise God. And you now belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. And if you have just prayed that prayer, very quickly grab some grape juice, some unleavened bread, hit the pause button, and let's take, and go grab it, and come back and resume playing, and let's all take it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the juice. This is the body and the blood of Christ. We sanctify it and consecrate it as such. We give you all of the praise. Father, we thank you for the body of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word, your principles. We give you all of the praise. Father, if there's something that we need to know that we don't know, let it be unveiled to us by your spirit, by the teaching priest. We thank you, Father God, for tying us in into the knowledge of your kingdom. And Father, we thank you that you are going to cover and saturate the earth with your knowledge as the waters cover the sea. So Father, transform your people, I pray, into teaching priests with a prophetic edge as we now receive the Lord's flesh in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's protect together. Praise God. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask for complete forgiveness of sins. If we have sinned against any, we ask that, uh, that they would forgive us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus flowing, washing away all of our sins. We thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that as we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the power of your blood. We thank you for your grace to live a life that's pleasing to you and to say no to temptation and to keep our eyes on you, living for you, serving you. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We receive it now. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The glory of the Lord coming upon you. This is your time to shine. Look to the Lord for the miracles as you give yourself wholeheartedly to him. Watch what God will do to open new doors and bring blessing into your life. Don't be surprised if God makes you like a Jehoshaphat where honor and riches just begin to gravitate towards you because of God's favor and blessing resting upon you. Expect it, believe it, and receive it in His name. Amen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time.